This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 5th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Money for nothing? Well, money for existing, anyway. It's an idea being floated in Switzerland, and it's been floated before in the United States, some form of a minimum income, often proposed as a wholesale replacement of the U.S.'s $1 trillion welfare spending. Matt Zwolinski is an associate professor of philosophy at the University of San Diego. We talked about minimum income, or mincome, earlier this week. So the Swiss have collected a number of signatures uh, to have a vote at some point in the future on whether to grant each and every citizen of Switzerland a uh, a basic income in the amount of 2,500 Swiss francs uh, per month or, or about 2,800 U.S. dollars uh, per month. Uh, and that is an income that would be guaranteed uh, regardless of age, uh, regardless of employment status. doesn't matter whether you're working or not working. doesn't even matter whether you're trying to find a job. Uh, if you want to take your money and uh, surf on the Swiss beaches, uh, you're, uh, you're free to do so according to this proposal. All right. So this sounds a little bit like uh, proposals from uh, Charles Murray, uh, who uh, proposed, I think, a few years ago, a $10,000 basic income, which would effectively replace the welfare state at the federal level in the United States. Yeah, that's exactly right, though it is unclear so far whether uh, the Swiss proposal would replace all other existing Swiss welfare programs or whether it would merely be added in on top of them. Uh, the details of the proposal have yet to be fully worked out. They've, they've merely kind of endorsed the basic idea uh, of a basic income guarantee over there, and I, and I take it they're working out the details now for the, uh, for the upcoming vote. All right. So and this is not tied, uh, as you say, to any kind of employment, unlike, say, an earned income tax credit uh, that we have right now. That's right. So the United States has uh, the earned income tax credit, uh, which bears some similarity to a program famously advocated by the libertarian economist Milton Friedman uh, called the negative income tax, uh, which essentially functions uh, the same way as a basic income grant, um, although the details of when you get your check or, or whether you write a check back to the federal government are, are somewhat different. The main difference between the earned income tax credit and the negative income tax uh, is that the earned income tax credit goes only to people who are working, whereas Friedman's negative income tax would have gone to everybody working or not. All right. So uh, if, what is the, I should say, what is the libertarian case for this kind of program in your view? Well, the strongest libertarian case that could be made for something like a basic income guarantee stems from the idea that it would, like it did in Murray's proposal, replace the current welfare state. So we've got a whole host of federal aid programs uh, designed to uh, contribute to the relief of poverty in various ways. Uh, last count, according to Michael Tanner uh, of Cato, uh, there were over 120 of these different programs uh, costing more than $668 billion uh, at the federal level and another $284 billion at the state and local level. So the idea is if we could scrap all of those programs, scrap your Medicaid, scrap your Social Security, 
security, scrap uh, programs that provide aid to uh, families with dependent children, and replace them with a simple basic income guarantee, you could both dramatically cut down on the size and complexity of the federal uh, government. Um, the basic income guarantee could be administered almost by a computer program. You wouldn't need a vast bureaucracy to do it. Uh, and you could save an awful lot of money while simultaneously providing greater benefits to the people who need it. So according to Tanner's estimates, if you add up the cost of all these social welfare policies, they amount to more than $20,000 for each and every poor person in America. If you cut that value in half, right, cut it down to, say, $10,000 and just wrote each poor person a check in that amount, uh, you'd probably be doing them more good because uh, they know how to spend that money better than the federal government knows how to spend money on their behalf. Uh, and you'd be saving taxpayers a lot of money. Uh, so it would appear to be a winning situation all around, especially for people who are concerned to limit the size and scope of government. Now, th that to me sounds like more of an efficiency argument than anything else. Uh, and clearly, uh, Friedman, most economists, I would dare say most libertarians would agree that it is a superior arrangement than the myriad sort of programs that we've got, the Byzantine system of, of welfare programs. But I also think most libertarians would say, well, it's still a, a massive welfare state. It's a welfare state. Uh, I don't know about a massive welfare state. It's, uh, it's it's at least less massive than the one we currently got. So well, I mean, we, I think... we spend a trillion dollars a year now, so cut it in half. Exactly. We've still got a it's massive a, welfare state. It's 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 not a a high hurdle to clear. Um, so you could certainly see an argument for for something like a basic income guarantee on libertarian grounds as a kind of second best or compromise solution. The question, I guess, is whether it can be justified as anything more than that. Uh, and I think you know some some libertarians have thought that it can. Uh, so Friedrich Hayek, for instance, pretty clearly seems to think that uh, a basic income guarantee is uh, just a, a necessary component of a just state. If you look at what he wrote in Law, Legislation, and Liberty, uh, he proposes uh, something like a basic income in the third volume of that work, and he seems to propose it as a condition of democratic legitimacy, right? So this is something that the state has to do in order for it to be legitimate um, uh, in, a, in a kind of normative sense to its subjects, uh, since it's it's exercising these powers of coercion over them, it has to make sure that I suppose uh, that citizens have the kind of basic means um, to to exercise their freedom uh, under that uh, under that coercive rule. Um, you could also, I mean. It's less explicit in the writings of Robert Nozick, but you know you've got another famous libertarian here who seems to be even more hardcore than Friedrich Hayek. Right? Nozick is somebody who thinks that um, the, the state ought to be minimized because uh, anything more than a minimal state would would be morally wrong. It would violate people's rights. Um, but that's only true, right? Libertarianism only counsels sort of a strong respect for property rights if those property rights were justly acquired. And there's a good argument to be made that the property rights that constitute the existing distribution of wealth in the world uh, were not, in fact, justly acquired, that they are at least partly the product of past acts of theft and violence by the state and by numerous private parties. And so Nozick flirts with the idea that perhaps something like a welfare state could be justified at least as a temporary measure 
um, as a way of providing compensation for that past injustice. The idea being that uh, the people who are most likely to have suffered from past injustice are probably those on the bottom end of the economic distribution. Uh, so if we channel uh, money or resources their way, that could be a way of compensating them in a kind of rough and ready way uh, for whatever past injustices they may have suffered. Right. But you admit uh, that there is no mechanism for determining who has suffered this essentially brute luck. That's right. We don't know, uh, you know, who who suffered the the injustices, what their names are, what the names of their descendants are, how much they suffered, who was responsible for perpetrating uh, the suffering. Uh, so we lack a lot of relevant information that would be required to do a kind of detailed sorting out of this mess. And yet, at the same time, it seems. Uh, unjust and unfair simply to ignore it and say, oh, well, the past is the past. <laughs> Let's just start over now. Um, so uh, so something like Nozick's proposal seems like a, a, a reasonable compromise situation um, in that it uh, constitutes a kind of approximate uh, uh, compensation. Uh, we're, we're making an effort to, uh, to make those who we think are likely to have suffered injustice better off, um, uh, even if uh, we can't be absolutely sure sure uh, that we're getting it right in all the details. So what of the argument uh, then that the people who are the beneficiaries of these programs uh, or this program that would replace the welfare state deciding they would like the checks that they receive, their, their guaranteed minimum income to be higher and organized to achieve that end at the expense of perhaps a shrinking uh, number of people to provide those benefits. Right. So one of the biggest dangers with a basic income proposal is that it's going to be subject to the same kind of political rent-seeking and log-rolling that have beset our uh, currently existing welfare programs. Uh, and that so even though it might look like a, uh, a clean and relatively inexpensive program in theory, uh, once you subject it to the political processes uh, that beset um, all uh, nice-sounding ideal theories, uh, it's going to get a lot messier, a lot more complicated, and a lot more expensive. Um, that is, I think, uh, one, one of the main worries to, to have about a basic income proposal. The way to deal with it, I think, um, and, and this is uh, what Charles Murray says in, in his book, too, uh, In Our Hands, where he, he sets out a proposal like this in, in pretty great detail, is that uh, you've got to institute a program like this at the constitutional level. Uh, and you've got to do it via a constitutional amendment, which simultaneously institutes the basic income guarantee and eliminates uh, the other welfare programs. Uh, if you don't do it at the constitutional level, uh, it's going to be much easier to subject it uh, to the sort of rent-seeking that, uh, that libertarians want to isolate it from. And you're going to lose the real benefit uh, of this program, was, which is that it's, it's um, largely independent of uh, the kind of political discretion uh, that has uh, basically ruined uh, the welfare programs that we already have in place. And with respect to the program uh, proposed in Switzerland, it seems like they are not using this as a replacement for their welfare programs. 
it, it seems like they're not instituting it as a replacement for their welfare programs, and it seems like they're instituting this as a kind of normal piece of uh, legislation rather than a constitutional amendment. So I think uh, for both of those reasons, the Swiss proposal is deeply problematic. It's also a very large grant that the the Swiss are considering making. Uh, if you take $2,800 a month for each and every Swiss citizen, that means that a married couple could get about $67,000 a year in U.S. dollars uh, doing nothing. Uh, and that's that's a lot of money. Um, Switzerland is a very rich country. Uh, the average per capita income there is about $80,000, and this is less than half of that. But still, uh, the Swiss proposal seems to be uh, unacceptably high. Matt Zwolinski blogs at Bleeding Heart Libertarians. He's an associate professor of philosophy at the University of San Diego. You can read more about the finer points of libertarian thinking at our two websites, libertarianism.org and cato.org.